Welcome to Politically Pissed, the podcast that wants to remind you that it's not sexist if I say it. Welcome to Politically Pissed. My name is Saeed Charbini and I'm here with my co-hosts Eris and Katya. Go ahead and say hi, y'all. What's good, y'all? Hey. And we have a special guest today. Go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Lorena Garcia and I'm running for U.S. Senate in 2020. Nice. For Colorado, right? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) For Colorado. Awesome. Thank you for coming on and joining us today. Um, So I wanted to talk to you a little bit. I think you were one of the first people to jump in for this race, weren't you? I was. It's kind of an interesting story because there were two guys that that had announced, I think, in 2017 and then dropped out immediately. And then I was the first candidate that is still a current running candidate to announce in November. What what was your major drive to want to run for office, in Mm. particular Senate? Well, I will say that I have been avoiding this forever. I've been asked to run for office more times than I can count. And I've just been saying, absolutely not. No way. Not interested. And then it got to the point where I just kept seeing Cory Gardner continuing to make these really jacked up, stupid decisions and who he was confirming to our courts and to lead our agencies that I said, you know what? That's it. He's up for reelection. He's got to go. But anybody but Corey is not good enough for me and I was trying to think in my head I was like gosh who who should I ask to run who should I ask to run and then finally I just thought if you want to do it right you got to do it yourself so what are, what are some of your connections like how long have you lived in Colorado and your community that you're in now what sort of other things have you done in the past to connect to that community that that you think would be good that for your position here so I've been in Colorado my whole life born and raised I was born in Boulder my, I'm actually the seventh generation Coloradan. My family comes from southern Colorado in the San Luis Valley area. And my mom is from Mexico, so I'm also first generation. So I, I have very interesting lived experiences where I can relate to the, the challenges that come with being an immigrant or having immigrant parents and also the challenges that come with being multi-generational Latinos in the in the United States. I went to I went to CU Boulder, um, and then I moved to Denver, which was where I live now. Um, I live in Adams County, part of Denver, and I've been there for about five years with my wife. And um, that's where I don't know. It's where our house is, <laughs> and our three dogs. <laughs> gotcha. What would you say are some of the primary issues that push you to run for office? Like, Really, it's economic opportunity. Yeah. It drives me crazy that not everyone actually has the opportunity and the chance to be self-sufficient and thrive economically in their own right. We live in such a rich country, and for some people to be billionaires while some of their employees make maybe $12 an hour is criminal. And what I want to make sure that happens is that we all have economic opportunity to thrive. And part of that is education. It's also health care. It's also worthy investments. If we are not, if we, if we continue to 
price out entire generations from college, I mean, that's not economic justice. If we continue to make families have to make those difficult decisions of buying health insurance or of taking their kids to the doctor or of getting that surgery, you know, or not having these surprise bills, that's also not economic justice. It's not just, period. No, I agree. And you have some really great points on your website, but I wanted to talk to you about the idea of the Green New Deal. I know that if, I don't know, Ocasio-Cortez is the one that was behind pushing sort of the idea at first, but if you were to be in office, do you think that's something you might jump on board with? Because like, it seems like it speaks to some of the issues that you're talking about and like raising minimum wage and making sure that people can afford college and stuff like that. I am already 100% behind the Green New Deal. I was the first candidate to, to back it 100%. Gotcha. Is there any particular part of it that you'd want to push, like that you have your mindset on, or you just sort of like the whole idea that she encompassed? You know, what I love, God, what I love about the Green New Deal is that it's so visionary and it's a, it's a roadmap that actually then allows us to really come up with solid strategic policy to get us to this place of having a, a 100% green economy. And I think what's really important for me in that is to make sure that we see and that we implement a just transition for the fossil fuel workforce. Because, it, you know, we have we have done things in the past where we have, we have eliminated entire industries without considering the impact of the workforce. And that's just, that's awful. That's awful for the families. It's awful for the communities. So within the Green New Deal, what I'm most passionate about is making sure that we are bringing along the fossil fuel workforce with us. Because the reality is, I mean, who has been the leaders in energy all this time? It's been the fossil fuel workforce. Who, who are the greatest energy surveyors of land? It's the fossil fuel workforce. I mean, even if we look at like these awful, horrible energy companies like Exxon, I mean, they've already been investing billions of dollars in green, in green energy and renewable energies. So they already have the technology. Now it's just about saying, hey, you have it. Now, oh, God damn it, use it. <laughs> no, I absolutely I agree with you. I mean, they know it's coming and they've been producing things to be ready for it. But I like that you said that because that was actually the main point I wanted to go to in that with the new green deal was how do we transition people from fossil fuel jobs to new green energy jobs? And I think it's important. And you make a really good point that we need to take care of those people that have been taking care of us for so long. So. Yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you did mention higher education. I just wanted He's to kind of see where you see higher education playing a role in transitioning and making a more equitable system for everyone else. I think that higher education and including vocational and tech schools is where we need to start investing more money in. We are not setting up the next generation of workforce to be able to actually build wealth. We're not even setting ourselves up to be able to have a skilled workforce for all of these new jobs. So we have to put a lot more energy, a lot more money behind expanding access to vocational schools, to tech schools, to college. I, I am a 100% proponent of tuition-free higher education because really what it comes down to for me is that that is a required step almost whether it's a, whether it's college whether it's vocational whether it's tech everyone has to go through that step we need to make it just as much as a right as k through 12 
And what would you say to the studies that show the less investment students have in higher education, the less likely they are to actually attain the credential at the end? I think, you know, when you talk about tuition-free education, that's not saying that they're not investing anything in their education. Mm-hmm. What, it, what it means to me is that they are not going to be leaving school with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. The other thing is if we look at, for example, the students who are on Pell Grants and we look at the students who receive that financial aid and compared to students that maybe get a free ride because their parents pay for college, mm. I mean, those are two completely different things. The students that, that have worked their asses off to be able to get that Pell Grant, to be able to keep that grant, to be able to graduate from college, I mean, they're, they're the rates of that, and I don't know the numbers, so whoever is fact-checking this, please put it in the comments. But whatever that that is, I promise you, it's a higher rate of success. And then historically, underrepresented communities tend to match at lower institutions. Not to say that there's anything wrong with Metro. I love my Metro people. But there are access-granting institutions that serve a lot more minority communities than institutions like CU or CSU. How do you see shifting that in order to make it a more equitable system? Because at the end of the day, you can go to college, but sometimes it also matters what name's on the degree. It does matter what name's on the degree, and I think that one of the things is we also need to get off of the idea of of stigmatizing colleges that cater to communities of color. You know, I mean, Metro is actually a great school. It's a great school. And the fact that they have a Latino student initiative, people automatically assume that, oh, well, oh, you have to go to Metro? I mean, CU's right on the same campus. Why don't you try to go to, to CU? When the reality is you, have, you actually have better qualified teachers at Metro than you have at CU, Bol- or CU Denver. But at the same time, I mean, like he said, the name on that degree is going to make a difference. Someone's looking at it like, oh, you went to CU versus Metro. And how, how can you push that message to everybody that Metro is just as good then? It's not just me that is going to have to push that no, message. No, you know, saying, it's yeah. it's that's what I was saying. It's a stigma that we need to actually address as a as an entire society. Mm-hmm. We need to get off of the fact that private schools are better than public schools. We need to get off of the fact that private colleges are better than public colleges. You know, and I think that that's the same thing. I mean, why did Metro State go? Why did they change their name? What was it? Metro went from Metro State College to, to Metro yep. State University. Yep. Gotcha. Which is a designation that is fitting with their larger body of population because there is a distinct difference between colleges and universities by and there's a difference in accreditation on some mm-hmm. level. I will also note that the reason that we look at CU as our leader for the state is because it's a four campus system. It is the one that has the most access to other opportunities beyond undergraduate, which is why on some level we stigmatize other institutions that aren't CU. Just one question. How did you pay for college? Loans. Paid for it with out of my pocket, took out loans. I uh, worked full-time while I was in school. And what did you agree? I got my undergrad in film, and I have a an MBA as well. Okay. That's not easy to get, yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. All right. I guess uh, my question was when we're talking about making college, like free college for students, stuff like that, I think the worry that most people have is the idea that you're just going to let everybody go from high school into college and everybody's going to have a college degree. Are you thinking more of like a merit-based system, like in the sense of if you have a certain GPA, you get college for free? Or is it just available to anybody? 
I think that's something that we, it's open for discussion. We need to figure out what is going to be the best way moving forward. What's going to be the best pathway to move forward. Okay. You know, whether it's like, if it's GPA, if it's down payment, if it, who knows what that means. But I think that idea, what we have to get to is this place where we are no longer perpetuating a system that only continues to create a wealth divide. And that's what this system is right now. But if we're going to talk about divides, I want to talk about immigration a little bit too. Let's do it. Um, what is your opinion of ICE? Abolish it. Get rid of it. <laughs> ICE is terrible. It's awful. It does nothing but destroy families. The only thing we're doing with ICE is our money as taxpayers. We're only paying to allow separation of families. We're paying so that guards can assault detainees. We're paying so that children can die while in custody. There is nothing that co- good comes out of ICE. I mean, it's true, right? We're That's paying for it. continued, yeah. like, <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah, also. Yeah, I've seen it. Contain- we're paying for continued, like, profiling, right? Because that is one of the things it's, that you're doing. It's worse than profiling. It's, I've seen it. I mean, yes, but you're still profiling somebody in order to escalate it to the other yes. things. And you are paying for yes, profiling, which is something we say that we don't want to do in the state. I mean, in Montana, did you guys see that story of the two women that were speaking Spanish? And then they had ICE called on them. They were citizens, but they were speaking Spanish. And they were being detained for 45 minutes. Yeah. The sad part is it's not like the only story you hear about stuff no. like that. Like, they mostly don't make the news. insane. Yeah. Again, say that there are other policing agencies that do the same thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh yeah, so, yeah let's, let's, you know, like the yeah. police, yep. like the regular <laughs> police. Yeah, but seeing as yeah, I like what you said about ICE, and seeing as if you win, you'll be in a position to actually do something about them. How do you see working with different parties or different people to sort of go about and make that a, a goal that you can accomplish? I think it's going to be something where we are going to abolish ICE, but we're going to have to put something else in its place. But what's important for me is that whatever we put in its place is rooted in dignity and opportunity and respect. Because right now, the systems that we have in place are rooted in hate, fear, and intolerance. But I mean, that's a big part of that is the people in charge picking... 100 percent correct (laughs) yes i have several cousins who are in the process of immigrating my mother's also an immigrant and my husband is he he became a citizen before i met him but what would be the first thing you would change well i think the first thing that i would do is i would fight hard to make sure we pass a dream act that's the first thing i would do second i would make sure that we actually clean up and and create an even clearer and easier pathway towards citizenship for all of the immigrants that are currently here. And then I would make sure that we maintain our lottery system of immigration while we are getting into and and transforming how we operate. I mean, one of the things that, you know, I I am 100% rooted in equity. Everything that I look at, it's on... It's in what, what is equitable. And for me, as you know, as a United States citizen, I can travel anywhere with my passport. I just have to go there and I have to say how I'm going to be there. I just have to say what hotel I'm staying at. And they maybe charge me $10 for a visa. They stamp my passport and I get all excited because I have another stamp. And I go and enjoy myself. No one can do that here. That is that in itself is an insanely inequitable system of immigration across the world. 
across the globe. And that's something that we have to change. Why is it okay for us to, basically for all of us to experience what it's like to have quote unquote open borders, yet for everyone else to have to be massively scrutinized and questioned and you know investigated to be able to come and visit for two weeks much Um, less work i mean yeah that that is a fair point i again we don't have the most powerful passport of any other country yeah we do no we don't the eu maybe has there's eu countries that have more powerful more powerful passports there are places but that's because our government restricts us but she's not wrong though like you can literally take your passport fly to any country you want for the most part for the most part and just walk right in China is a vetting process, right? So there's those inequities at the same time. But also, my main point was not everybody in America has access to that, right? Like, not everybody in America is experiencing open borders. So how do you talk to the people who go, no, I can't go anywhere? How, How are you going to do that process of coalition building so they can understand that this is a process that benefits everybody, not just people who would be coming into the country? Well, so for example, and then you tell me what you're thinking of, because I imagine you're thinking of specific groups. But for example, for me, as a lesbian, I sure as hell can't go anywhere. It's not safe for me and my wife to go to whatever country. Because if we go to any other country, like some other country where being gay or being lesbian, being LGBT is illegal, we could get arrested. You know, we could get killed. If we go to Brazil right now, I mean, with the with the skyrocketing rates of of homicide against the LGBTQ community, with the hateful actions that the president is taking there. I mean, there's there is the reality of the fact that because we are two women that love each other, we can't go everywhere, you know. And on top of that, I mean, we're also brown. You know, we are two brown women with Mexican surnames. My wife has an accent, and so then here we are thinking, well, maybe we can, but that's the other thing. We could easier, more easily walk into other countries because of that passport, but then depending on the country, I mean, for example, Denmark, if we were to want to go to Denmark, holy cow, like Denmark is super, love Denmark, sorry, but real, own it. You guys are super racist. And so I think that there's the realities of it. <laughs> I think there's the reality of also just identities that get in the way of that as well. Well, and not even just identities, right? It's an economic opportunity issue. Mm-hmm. You have a bunch of people who are spread across our country in you know, various capacities, including in Colorado and different parts of our state, who have never left the country. Who... Are you suggesting a publicly funded airline? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Train system. Uh, oh. <laughs> but... Ultimately, you have a whole group who has never left the country who would be people that you're supposed to represent who don't understand what open borders mean because on some level they haven't experienced it. I'm not advocating for open borders. Okay. What I did, what I was giving, I was simply just giving an example that we as American citizens have an amount of privilege that majority of other countries don't because of the passport. We can talk about class, we can talk about race, we can talk all, all about that, but there's the fact that the U.S. passport has a lot of power. Yeah, but not so everybody has a U.S. passport. If we oh, want that's it, very true. Yeah, and that's the thing, right? You're, you're absolutely you're right. You're talking to a group of people who might not have the passport. A lot of people who and are so born with borders don't even have passport. Yeah. So I think when, we, when you're talking to me about 
you're asking me the question, how are we going to bring in everybody in this discussion? Now, in my perspective, the people that are blocking us from having a more humane immigration system are the people that benefit from the United States passport. They are the people that can get in their private jets, fly wherever the hell they want to. They're the people that can afford to go to Paris for lunch go to Spain to shop and then come home in the evening. Like those are the people that are blocking us from being able to have a more humane system. And so those are the people that need to recognize that their privilege is getting in the way of the humanity and dignity of everyone else. But there are groups of people who are supporting those people who are doing this and who are blocking it, right? Like that's the other part of it. It's not just that it's people who benefit from being able to go across the borders and benefit from the passport, but there are people who don't get those benefits, who don't understand that they are supporting people who aren't going to actually help them, right? And they're not being brought into the conversation in the way they're just being told. We have a president who tells people, they're bad, we don't want them here, and there's a whole section of America who believes him. They have never been to those countries. They don't have access. I believe the term are shithole countries. Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't like repeating his words sometimes. (laughs) They feel gross coming out of my mouth. But (laughs) ultimately, I mean, those are people who also still need to be brought into the discussion in a different way than they've been brought in before. Yeah. This That's made, right. Uh, <laughs> I, I've taken full advantage of the U.S. passport overseas. Like it, it gets you anywhere you want to go. And however, it, um, it kind of gets me anywhere been, I want to go. I've also been detained in China for three also, hours. Both, <laughs> of, you, yeah, both of you have been detained. Yeah, but I've only ever Heathrow. been detained domestically flying. Really? Yeah. Oh. Uh, overseas, they've never detained me. Interesting. Only domestic. Nah, man. The most deaf line is real for me. You know. They think that illegal is a synonym for Negro. (laughs) Yeah, every country. (laughs) But I have to say that I have to admit that Mexico is a bit of a racist country towards black people. I know. Peru is also. You took me there for your wedding. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's it's a. a, There's no perfect country. I mean, like. No, you're absolutely right. Yeah. (laughs) Outside of that. The other section of Coloradans, we have, we would like to acknowledge, even briefly and passingly, there is like the whole fear that people think that they are going to lose jobs and other economic opportunities. How do you address those people in our state? Even though the reality doesn't match up with it, but how do you bring them into that conversation so they understand that they're not losing out? So I, one thing I want to just make clear, and I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong, But I have this small inkling that because I'm running as a Democrat, that there's this preconceived judgment that all I'm doing is reaching out to Democrats in my campaign. Well, I want you to know that that is furthest from the truth. Especially because you're from Adams County. (laughs) I'm from Adams County, but this is a statewide race. We are not a blue state. And even if we were to only reach out to one party is not doing your job one as a candidate or especially if you are elected high five (laughs) (laughs) so with that i think that the individuals that you're talking about whether they are registered to vote whether they're not whether they're democrat unaffiliated whether they're green party whether they're republican i want to talk to them and i do talk to them and my campaign is actually about making sure that whatever issues that we have, whether it's immigration or energy or oil and gas or education, that I'm bringing forward a really diverse set of opinions on this because that's really the only way. I mean, one of the things that we've seen 
just recently with the state legislature blue 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 now there's different shades of blue we know that but blue 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 <coughs> and so then what we have there is we are we were pushing all of these amazing quote unquote progressive policies but they were ramming them through like as if the state capital was going to burn down some of these things sure we needed to push them through because basically like our environment we have to push those policies through but there were other issues that we didn't really need to do it that way but there was i think there was a lot of lessons learned where we actually need to take the time to bring in all the different perspectives now the work that i've done leading up to my decision to run for office as a nonprofit. Um, executive working in public policy has always been nonpartisan. I have never, ever focused my work on a single party, and I will never do that. I'm running as a Democrat because I'm a registered Democrat, but that does not mean I will always put people over party. I will always put people over party. I really appreciate hearing that. I do too. You don't hear it very often. Yep, that's a yeah. very salient point, and but it's refreshing. You started talking about a couple of things, and I like what you said about not re- just being a Democrat and representing everybody. Is there a couple of things that you can say that you saw from the legislature this session? Because we're going to go into some of that, too, that you in particular, as a Democrat, were like, they didn't consider everybody's thoughts. You know, I think one issue in particular was the sex ed bill. I love the sex ed bill. You know, I was actually the architect of the 2013 version of the sex ed bill. I worked with um, then um, Representative Crisanta Duran on that bill. Now, when they went ahead and updated that bill, they just, they, well, I don't know what they assumed. I can't assume to know what they assumed. But the way that the, what it felt like and what it looked like on the outside was to start with, they were just totally jacking up the messaging on that bill i mean first off they were claiming this bans abstinence only hey newsflash that was already done in 2013 <laughs> you know they were talking Such about this is going that. to incorporate lgbt in sex ed hey guess what that was already done in 2013 they were cleaning up the language which was absolutely necessary but at the same time that they the, the way that they went about it without actually bringing to the table different groups, different perspectives, different faith groups, different um, backgrounds of families, whether it was, you know, families of color or immigrant families or families of faith, you know, they just assumed, hey, since we have the entire blue chamber, we're going to move forward. Well, guess what? Because every blue candidate comes in a different shade of blue, it wasn't that easy when it got to the Senate. They had to make some really horrible concessions. They had to make some amendments. And I don't even know if this one amendment actually passed. Again, fact check, put it in the comments. <laughs> but if there was an amendment that was brought forward to basically allow parents to opt out of the gender fluidity, I'm quoting, gender fluidity portion of sex ed. You know, and to me, I'm just like, okay, first off, that's jacked. That's fucked up. Mm-hmm. You can't, like, what? And second, I was thinking, I was like, why were some of these families not engaged in the first place to make sure that the language was written in a way where they would feel comfortable instead of coming forward and bulldozing the sex ed bill to become one of the most dramatic pieces of legislation this year? I, may I add to that? Yeah, no, you've been wanting to talk about the sex ed bill for a while. Yeah. yeah. So, behind the scenes background on that, Senator Corum, who is 
he was a Republican sponsor, and once it passed the House, he wanted to take himself off the bill because he was very sure that his constituency wasn't being included. I don't particularly like Senator Corum, but I think he had a point because I I don't think people were just going to pretty much bulldoze this bill. And although in my personal opinion, I am, I agree with this, you do need to bring in constituencies and ask their opinions. Just because you don't agree with people doesn't mean you, you should not include them. Mm-hmm. No. Maybe what makes your campaign unique is I I'm assuming you're going to listen to people who are rural and who are of faith backgrounds, and you may not agree with them, but you're going to try to incorporate them. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that makes a huge difference to the capital. I mean, there's not a lot of that there. Do you think you can be a force to help bring people together up there? I hope so. You know, I think one of the interesting things is I'm often labeled as the most progressive candidate in the race. And I'm thinking, I'm like, sure, I'll take that title. But if being being people-centered is being the most progressive, then that's a shame on everyone else. It's pretty sad. It's got there, yeah. <laughs> it's sad, but I would think that's, like, always been the case, right? If you yeah. were people-centered, you are the most progressive person in the room. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, they always talk about liberals and stuff. It's like, well, we just want to care about people. So, Do you right. have any uh, campaign finance policies? Yes. Awesome. You want to tell us? Something? I would love to tell you them. I am only accepting donations from human beings. <laughs> I'm not taking. Can you sing- specify? <laughs> I'm not taking a single dollar from PACs, from corporations, from even well-intentioned PACs. You know, I think that I I believe that in order for us to achieve any sort of meaningful change at the Capitol, we need to achieve campaign finance reform. And if I'm going to be fighting to make sure that dark money and big money and corporations stop buying our elections, then I need to run my campaign exactly that way. Exactly. So let me ask then, um, how many checks have you sent back? Two. Nice. So I mean, come on. Do you no. really think like any corporation would want to send me a check? No, anyway? but I'm just saying if one did, like, have you sent well, it back yet? I've yeah. actually, I've, I haven't sent any check back specifically but i've rejected two donations that uh, from people who have wanted to be anonymous okay good Hmm. maybe it was from turning point usa (laughs) no (laughs) no they're too busy with the mayor election instagram feed (laughs) we we can talk about the mayor a little bit i don't know how much you've been paying attention to the denver municipal elections oh Um, so much for not living in denver so or not living in Denver County yeah. so yeah. much. It tends to draw everybody in. Uh, it's it's a pretty big race. I mean, it's a pretty popular race. It's one of the bigger ones. I don't know ones. how popular it is. I think it's a <laughs> uh, rocking a hard place race. <laughs> well, it's definitely rocking a hard place. So you don't have a say in it. But I think I don't either. you do. We do. Who are you guys going to vote for? I don't really want to talk about mm. it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, someone's dodging a question. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's a fair point. I feel more comfortable yeah. like telling somebody if I had an abortion than telling who I would vote for in this election. It, mm. No, it's, it's a like really smash. painful process. Yeah. And, you know, well, I vote is... early, so I've already done that. And, uh, yeah, man, there's a lot of stuff that came out that made me cringe afterwards, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I just feel like me and Aris voted for the same person. That's all I'm we say. probably did. Uh, yeah. It hurt. Oh. It hurt a lot. It hurt a lot. Hurt a oh lot. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> it's stick with the evil that you know, not the one you don't. Exactly. I. Oh, I'm yeah. not sure. No. No, you don't like no, that one. <laughs> not <bad. laughs> No. I'm afraid of losing friendships Sorry. over this. 
You don't have to say anything. You don't have to say anything. I, you don't get to vote on it. Yeah. I know. So you just be like, I don't know. There's some sketchy business going on. No, it's definitely sketchy. It's been one of those things where I didn't realize that people really want to be mayor of Denver that that badly. Apparently, it's a popular gig. And now it's become like a very popular gig that I now question everybody's intentions for running. Can we do the same thing for questioning everyone's intentions for running for U.S. Senate? Oh, God, Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. If you want to run... I'm on on record with a couple of them. Like, maybe they should just stop now. (laughs) Yes. He has said that before. Mr. Silky here. You know who you are. I don't know. But in who case Mr. you don't, Silky Harris. Johnson, just just, just leave. Man. <laughs> just leave. Just Johnson, give it up. Yeah. <laughs> and I like you. Just give it up. Like you as a person, you're like Kramer, right? You just pop in the doors. You're like hi, and then you leave. We but did, I just want you not to be in the election office. Yeah. It's got to say, like, it's interesting. <laughs> it's interesting the fact that there's so many candidates in this race who have run statewide offices like run for statewide office before and have lost and they're like well then I'm gonna do or not even just statewide but congressional office and have lost and said well then if I can't even win this seat well I'm sure as hell gonna win US Senate (laughs) which is you know what all power to you if you think that's the case go for it and I guess I had another question too is how would you have felt if Cristanza Duran had jumped in this race instead of CD1 I would have still run you would still run Mm -hmm. All right. How do you feel about uh, her challenging DeGette? I think that Diana DeGette should have been um, mentoring other women for a long time now already. I think the fact that she's on 22 years is just, she shouldn't, she has, you know, she's voted the right way sometimes, like most of the time. You know, she's done, she's done things that have been beneficial for Colorado. Um, and I think that really it comes down to the fact that it's, you have to recognize when it's time for you to go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as somebody who has, you know, as an executive director in nonprofits, you know, I've, I've recognized period moments where I've never served 20, I'm barely 37. Like I haven't been <laughs> anywhere for 22 years except for maybe the slopes. But, right. you know, like I recognize even after maybe three and a half years of serving as an executive director that, you know what, I think my effectiveness is not as much as it was and I need to step down to let someone else continue to lead the charge and I think that when we're looking at politicians it's almost impossible for them to do that because that's what they're there for they're there for job security they're there like when Diana to get I mean here's the thing when Diana to get either if she loses or she finally steps down at some point in the future before she dies like (laughs) we are going to have to keep paying her almost her entire salary every year for the rest of her life Looking at like Ed Perlmutter, how long has he been in office? Is it well forever in a day? It's less than was it eighteen years, fourteen years, eighteen years? I don't know. But like he's much more beloved than even the same thing. (laughs) Like that, even just that piece of like you, if you serve long enough, you can basically earn like what your income is as a as a representative or a senator when you're not even serving anymore. What other job does that exist? Nowhere. Why are we doing that? They've served their their time they've done the job now they're not anymore let's actually put that money to better use one idea i had is that if the representatives and the senators and the congress get this incredible cadillac health care why can't the rest of the united states get that medicare for all yeah well single payer again that would go back to higher education because we don't have enough doctors or nurses or pas right or even it's not it's not a any sort of system 
whatever single payer healthcare system that we can bring on, we can't do it overnight. I mean, that's just something we have to recognize. It's not a flip the switch. I mean, that's going to take time because we need to make sure that we have enough people. It's like, it's like Polis's kindergarten idea. Like, <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. Finally. Okay. Now, where are we going to get those teachers? Where are we going to put these kindergarten classrooms? You know, we already have districts that don't even have enough space. Oh, we have districts so, that don't have enough funding to pay for five day a week school. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hello. We pay I our mean, teachers some of the lowest in the nation. Like, there's yeah. a lot of big issues here. While having yeah. some of the most constraints, right? Like, there yeah. are other states that don't pay teachers as much, but they also don't require them to do the licensing we do. They don't require to do the. It's and now I do want to make clear, like I am full support of of all day kindergarten, full support because it is going to dramatically help working families. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think that we also needed to figure out how do we get to that. And, like, the state should have figured out how are we going to help districts get there instead of putting the onus on the districts to come up with their own plans. Yeah. No, I really think that's one of those things where it's a good and a not so good. <laughs> not <laughs> like, so it's good. great. It, well, it's great to have it, but it also is not so good to not have thought about all of the things that need to be in place in order for it to be a reality. It's just lack of forethought. Yeah, I would say that about our governor for a lot of things. So, so yeah. Okay. All right. Do you have any other questions for it? I don't yeah. think we have time. But. No, <laughs> we're we're pretty much out of time now. Yeah, anyway, so, um, we can get to final thoughts if you want. So, anybody, do you have one that you want to go with? We can save it for last if you want. <laughs> um, do you guys have anything you want to go with? Yeah. Okay. Go, okay, ahead. go ahead. Fuck you, Denver. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> That's what I tried to avoid. Eris? <laughs> <laughs> I echo Katya. Fuck you, Denver. I, fuck you for making me have to choose between the lesser of two evils. Actually, I don't even think there's a lesser of two evils, because I'm pretty sure they both have horns and tails. So, fuck you. <laughs> Better candidates all around. I'm really tired of this. We do not need our state being led, uh, our city being led by morons or by people who abuse power or pe- by people who don't understand what NAACP is because, I mean, you have a police force that doesn't respect the rights of brown people already. So, fuck you, Denver. All right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to four years from now with somebody else's mayor. <laughs> okay. Already. <laughs> already. <laughs> My final thought is I spent this last weekend at a conference. It's a legal conference. And we spent some time discussing the Supreme Court and the new justices and stuff like that. And really, we we need to be very careful about what we do in the next election because the next president will likely pick – I mean the next president in the next four years will likely pick at least one, probably two more Supreme Court justices. And that could really permanently sway the way the court goes for at least the next 20 to 30 years. And that's that's a huge deal. So – Everybody get your shit together. Get out, you know, knock doors, vote for people who matter, vote for people like Lorena, because uh, they're going to make the difference. So, thank you. RBG can't live forever. She can't. Oh, <laughs> maybe technology will catch up so she can. I hope she'll like, yeah. <laughs> Dead man days. Oh. I think that you, you bring up a great point because really 2020 is far more important than just getting Trump out of office and just getting Gardner out of office because never before has the has our planet or our health or our education or our dignity our wallets has ever ever been more on the line than this coming election 
And we have got to make sure that we're not just replacing these guys, but that we're replacing them with a new type of leadership. It can't just be the same old, same old, and it can't be yesterday's leaders. It has to be new types of leadership. People who are not interested in a political career, people who are not interested in doing anything that it takes to get reelected, but people who are interested in making sure that we vote for policies that are rooted in equity and that are people-centered. And that's what I commit to doing because when I win U.S. Senate, you're not only just going to have a senator up there, you're also going to have a partner, and that's important to me. So check me out. My website is lorenaforsenate.com, L-O-R-E-N-A for senate.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Lorena for Senate. And yes, donate, because this is 100% people-powered, no special interest money, nothing, except for every single individual is a special interest to me. Perfect. I love it. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Everybody want to say goodbye real quick? See you later. Be easy, y'all. Oh, and shout out to all the new grads. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Yeah, fuck them when we say we're not with them We're solid